The following program is sponsored by Marty McClendon and New Beginnings Christian Church of Spokane. My God is so big and so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. My God is so big and so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. I just love that song. It encourages me every time, and that's why I'm here. I hope I can encourage you today, inform you today. Maybe entertain you a little bit as well. But so this is In My Opinion. I'm your host, Marty McClendon. And it's the 4th of December. Can you believe it? We've got three weeks till Christmas, four weeks till the new year, and all of our New Year's resolutions. I'm hoping and praying and planning on doing much better with mine this year than I did last year. But like always, we will start off with the scripture of the day. It's Deuteronomy 30 verse 19 says, This day I called the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. It goes on to say in verse 20, And that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. I love this life or death, blessings or cursings. The reason I bring this up again, because this week, the Supreme Court was hearing a case, a case where it was sued the state of Mississippi, where they had drew the line and banned abortions past 15 weeks. With a 5-4 to four conservative court, there's a very real possibility that yesterday, the Supreme Court justices voted to overturn or return the decision or the rights um, back to the state's. We won't know for a month or so, but I pray, and pray now, that they made the right decision that, that by returning it back to the states, I mean, it still allows Washington and New York and California to be as egregious and, and as barbaric as possible based on the will of the people. That's why you and I have to pray and get engaged locally if it comes back to the states. But it does fight for the right for life across many of the red states that would go move towards banning abortions altogether or going to a very early stage in the pregnancy cycle. So a good day, I'm hoping, a good day that, that they made the right decision. But the fact that it was made it to the Supreme Court, that for the first time since Roe v. Wade, there's actually a, an appeal to heaven and, and across this nation where more people are pro-life than pro-abortion, that I'm hopeful that it was voted to be overturned and sent back to the states. One more thing, I have a special guest today. I have James Golden, the a.k.a. Boast Nerdly, the call screener for Rush Limbaugh for 30 years. It's coming up in about a minute. But I love the balance of the scripture where it says life and death, blessings and cursings, and curses, I should say. But that's the way the Bible is. I mean, I see this big overly grace movement, and I get concerned because this says it's a narrow path. Because without judgment, meaning knowing the weight of sin, we don't need grace. It also says word and spirit. So the Bible is rich. The Bible, you need the word of God, but you need to, the Holy Spirit to illuminate it. You can't just have all Holy Spirit or just all Bible. You need to have both. The same thing with grace. You, grace does not give us the right to go out and just continue to sin. Grace is the recognize, recognition that sin brings death, brings judgment that we are owed. We all fell short. But because Jesus went to the cross, because Jesus took the punishment, because Jesus paid the price, that is grace. We don't have to pay the price because he paid it for us. That's why we want to live for him 
for the rest of our life. So that's me preaching. That's the pastor side of me. But I want to set up this interview. This is James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, and you'll hear me here. And hopefully we wrap this up at the end. But thank you very much for listening. Here today, I'm honored to be joined with James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, the guy that spent 30 years as Rush Limbaugh's call screener, but he actually has a long career in radio before Rush, and of course, still now as well. And he's added author to his name. But I want to welcome Bo Snurdly, uh, a.k.a. I should back it up, James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, <laughs> to my program. James, thank you so much for doing this, uh, for coming on the program and talking to our listeners. My pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Um, I know that you're a busy guy. Uh, obviously, I'll get to the book in a second, but you've had a legendary career. And of course, I've checked out your website at jamesgolden.com for our listening audience. And you've spent a long time, but you started off in radio, says with a James and uh, Joel show. Was that a local show you did? I started off actually before that. James and Joel was somewhere. Uh, during the process, I started, I moved to my first radio station when I was 14 years old. My cousin was a disc jockey in New York, went to a radio station, fell in love, knew what was what I wanted to do. Started working um, at that very same radio station um, when I was rather young as a marketing research director. Within a few years from there, I was at WABC as their music director. That's when it was still the last uh, big, iconic, top 40 radio station, the trendsetter, actually, in the country, produced their last music show, walked into another studio and produced their first talk show. So, yeah, I've been in radio a long time. Now, <laughs> i got to ask this. Though. Did, did you have your deep, dulcet voice when you were 14, or did that develop as you got older? Well, I had a rather deep voice when I was 14. It's gotten a little bit deeper mm-hmm. over the years. And, um, yeah, but it was, I've, I've had a deep voice for most of my adult life. So, okay. yeah. Yeah. Obviously people always t- talk about the deep voice. It's not always that it's about the entertaining fact on radio. So I want to get to your book, um, fairly quickly. I know you wrote a book called rush on radio. Um, you spent 30 years, um, behind the scenes with rush Limbaugh as his call screener. And, um, it, I read a portion of the book. I haven't read it all yet. But what I've read so far is intriguing. I want to read more. It's really, really, really good. When it comes down to the point where he talks about the show's beginnings, how you and Rush met, how you got the nickname of Bo Snurdly. Um, and, of course, there's more I want to talk about. But tell us about the book. Well, you know, after Rush passed, even, even as he, after he had announced, I, first, I began to think about what is Rush's legacy going to be. And I wanted to play a part in that, you know, when, and throughout his career, Rush has had people that have been really critical of him who never listened to the show, who are just following uh, political talking points. And, and in fact, at various points in his career, have uh, there have been other people that have spread harmful, hateful lies about things he supposedly said, which never happened. So I wanted to make sure that there was um, an honest appraisal about who Rush was from one of the people that, that loved him very dearly, me. And I, I tell you, any anybody on our staff could have written this because we all have such deep love and affection for Rush and for the way that he lived his life. 
as you know, there are very few that walk among us that can claim ever to be perfect. We all have our flaws as human beings, but I will tell you that Rush was exceptional. And he was exceptional also, even working past, you know, the problems that he had over the years, some of which, when you live under a microscope, have have been very well known. But he was a guy who was always polite, always um, treated people extremely well, very generous human being, and uh, had just a tremendous gift uh, in terms of his abilities on the air and as a broadcaster. But I think that those gifts were also matched by everything that he was about in his personal life, which, again, extremely generous to strangers, to friends and family alike, just an exceptional human being. And you got part of that, obviously, from listening to the show. I'm a big Rush fan. I was a big Rush fan. Uh, I made a point to tune in as much as I could during the day, had it all in the background. And, of course, during the last days when he um, announced his uh, diagnosis, um, kind of as he was on there, off again, we had the guest host on, uh, you really moved the nation and those people that grew up on listening to Rush. But the book where it talks about sort of the behind the scenes, that he was this type of person all the time that he was the professional that he was on the air, but off the air, this family feel. I think people really need to hear that. You know, yeah, off the air, you know, Wes was, first of all, he was a consummate professional. So even during that last year, which was so difficult for him when he was in and out of treatment, when he was on the air, you couldn't even tell he he was um, going through the illness. His energy level was so up. The shows he delivered always very well prepared. He was um, always prepared for his show and worked ceaselessly and tirelessly to do show prep. That was such a part of his life. Mm-hmm. Afterwards, those of us that were there, Dawn Bachinsky, Brian Johnson, and myself, who were there most days, we could see the terrible toll that it had taken on him in terms of his energy level his pain level, and and I just admire what it took out of him to do it. As I, I've said, uh, you know, he had a bucket list. I think if I were given a death sentence, as he was, that my bucket list wouldn't necessarily be work. It wouldn't be on the air. It wouldn't be radio. It would be perhaps traveling and seeing places in the world that I hadn't seen or doing things that I hadn't done before. But Rush had a bucket list, too, and his bucket list was his audience. He wanted to be there with his audience every second that he could, Mm -hmm. and that is exactly what he did, even to the point that we did not know his last show was his last show. Um, It was just just an amazing thing to watch. The passion that he had and always maintained to deliver an excellent performance, and he held that from the very first day he began the syndicated show to the very last day he was able to come in and be with us. At, at the end or near the end there, he started talking a little bit how his private life, he didn't share his faith, how he's had a, a, a deepening of his walk. And, that, and we talked to a Christian audience across um, this network, uh, across the American Christian Network, which we do the show on. And so I know that's important to them as well. 
Um, but then he talked about the fact that he was called to be uh, uh, to talk and us to listen. This, this is something that me and my, my co-host, Doug Bassler, we always talk to the audience about. We believe you're called. You've been anointed and appointed for a time such as this, that you can make a difference in your community, to do what God's called you to be. And I, I know he talked a lot about the fact that he, this is what he called to do. Like you said, a, a consummate professional. And yet, um, what do you say right now about, about his faith? about his walk, the fact that really there are people in the audience that uh, have a gift that they can serve their neighbors by doing what they're called to do. Well, of course, in the final year, Rush talked more openly about his deep and abiding faith. And in fact, if you look at one of the, the, the Limbaugh letter that was published shortly after, um, the, the newsletter was published, I believe, within a week after he he, he passed away. Mm-hmm. The cover on that newsletter is with him with folded pen saying that God is with me. And he chose that cover. He No one else chose that cover. He chose that cover. And I think it speaks to his faith. Over the years, he made it a point that the show wasn't going to set out to try to proselytize, but at the same time, when the topic of religion did come up, or, or his religion, or God, he spoke about it openly. But again, during the last year, he brought up the topic. And I think if he wanted to reassure people who were probably emailing him, or I don't know whether whether that's true or not, but I I tend to think that maybe he just wanted people to know that he did have this deep and abiding faith and that he felt comfortable with that. And he saw, quote unquote, the bigger picture that this life coming to an end wouldn't be the end of his life. Amen. And I would think we would all say that. I think that's the biggest thing that I got when I listened to Rush. Not only was I educated and entertained, but it was along the lines that he connected the dots for me. And you have to have a bigger picture an internal picture, if you will, um, to, to see how things connect together. And sometimes there's a faith in knowing that things will work out one way or another, but in the small things that we talk about politics and culture and religion, there's a lot of connecting parts. So I think that's really encouraging. I think he did, he did an excellent job at that. So I have a question for you, James. Um, when um, President Trump gave him the Congressional Medal of Honor there, what was that like in the studio when he received that? I know it was a big emotional thing for well, him. Well, we weren't in the studio. You know, the yeah. thing about that, right after Rush made his announcement, he flew up to Boston, and he and Catherine were getting ready for his first day of treatment when all this came up. This came up the night before he was supposed to begin his treatment. I got a call um, earlier that afternoon from Sean Hannity telling me that I should make sure to watch Something special is going to happen. And, of course, later that night, we saw Rush and Catherine in the honored guest uh, uh, section at the U.S. Capitol. I think he was genuinely surprised that this ceremony was going to take place right then. After the president announced that he was going to get that, going to get the highest national civilian award. Right. And I think he was genuinely surprised that it happened that night. But as it turns out, 
we didn't see Russ again until a few days later after his treatment. He went right back and began his treatment. And it was later in that next week that he came back to work. And by then, what he wanted to do is just jump right back into the news of the day and just go about his show. I think we didn't even, he didn't even mention it on the air until the last hour of the show that day that he returned. But it was certainly one of the most special things that has ever happened to Rush, to Rush fans, and those of us at the show who were just so pleased for him and so filled with gratitude that the president would bestow that honor upon him. It was a special moment, and I know it was for the whole team, as you guys are 30 years. That's just amazing to me. So, of course, if people want the book, it's Rush on the Radio by James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdly. You can buy it on Amazon or on his website at jamesgolden.com. But, James, since you've been on radio for so long, I have a couple questions. That One of them was you had a, your podcast links on your website. Um, you have different topics and stuff. You have one on morality. And something that I'm very passionate about as well, you were talking about the black community and destruction of family. Isn't that the number one issue? For me, it is. Um, the restoration of fathers to homes. I mean, especially in the black community. Can you comment on that or anything? Well, I think it goes beyond um, just the black community to yeah. what is happening in many American communities. Uh, and if you go around the world, interestingly enough, the same thing that are afflicting our communities are affecting other countries, even those that have homogeneous societies for the most part. Mm -hmm. And it all boils down to this a devaluation of life, mm -hmm. a lack of a moral compass in the society itself. And it seems that in so many instances, people have lost their directions. And, and look, some of this, I don't think you can blame necessarily people for when you look at some of the things that have been covered in some of the institutions uncovered in some of the religious institutions around the world, mm -hmm. where you have people that are supposed to be above reproach doing horrible things with children, for instance, it's enough to make people question and lose their faith and lose hope. But ultimately, I think if America is going to have a rebirth of our values. It's going to come because people are going to seek out that spiritual guidepost in their individual lives, and that will grow into communities that also have those shared values that mm -hmm. once upon a time we used to have in many sectors of America. Yep, amen. And and and, and it will, the pendulum will swing again toward that direction. I think some of the things that are afflict, afflicting black um, communities across the country, and I say this all the time, you know, it is astounding that in the early 1960s, black households had the lowest rate of abortion, mm -hmm. had the highest rate of two-parent families, were interested in making sure their kids were able to have a quality education. That was back when state were not allowing them to have. It was very important to try to overcome that. Mm -hmm. Now you look at all the freedoms that we have in our society and you look at what has happened to the black communities and you see incredible rates of, of crime, especially 
affecting young black men where the biggest change of the young black men isn't that they're going to get killed by a white police officer. It's that another person between 18 and 24 years old will take the life of a of, of black man also between the ages of 18 and 24 years old. Mm-hmm. It is a, a shame to say, but black Americans now have the highest rate of abortion in the country. Mm-hmm. And one of the lowest rates of two parent households. So the fortunes in the black community is we have more and more freedom that has happened as a result of legislation. There seems to be a decline in the things that really matter. And some of that was due to the great society, mm-hmm. the, the alleged great society that wanted to substitute the government for the, for the father figure that wanted to substitute their own will gift you money rather than um, teach the appreciation of working for -hmm. what you have for subsidizing birth out of wedlock. And it has had a devastating effect on society. And again, especially on black communities and, and, and Hispanic communities. And those are the things that over the course of time, I'm sorry. It's time to run That was my computer acting up. Not a problem. <laughs> uh, uh, um, it was, it, it, it has to be corrected. And those things are going to take time to correct. Where do We're you... looking now at almost a 50-year slide in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. It's not going to change overnight, but we do have to stay with it if we're going to really see this country change again. We look, we look at these numbers, and I agree with you 100%, um, James. In the Seattle area in 1984, the inner-city black community had the highest two-parent households, highest graduation rate, and highest percentage of homeownership in the state. 35 years later, it's just reversed. Highest crime rate, highest dropout rate, lowest homeownership rate, lowest two-parent homes. And like you said, a lot of that is legislation or policies that, that encourage or do the wrong things. But you also are right, because James Madison said that our Constitution is wholly inadequate for an immoral people. And we've got to get back to God. We've got to get back to these shared values, as you said. And we have to encourage that the, the whole um, family structure is so important for generational um, building and wealth. Um, not just financial wealth, but actual uh, values, sharing, passing them down for generation to generation. And so I want to, on this, one last question for you. Um, since today we're doing the interview on the 1st of, of December, the Supreme Court is, is actually seeing a case right now on, uh, that may overturn, in some ways, Roe v. Wade, you know, uh, over you know, 30-some years ago, almost 40 years ago at, the, at that point. Um, if Rush were alive, and of course your point as well, is what do you, th- what do you see? Are we going in the right direction in America when it comes to the life issues? Is this one of those things that um, will enough people care? <laughs> this is where we're at. I think that, number one, let us look to President Trump mm-hmm. and what his term was. And I know a lot of people have issues with President Trump, all the mean tweets and all the rest of it. But we have never had such an openly pro-life Republican president as President Trump. And I think that his public pro-life stance helped propel and gave courage to some of the things that were happening in individual states that are now finding themselves in the court. Let's also remember that he promised to bring people on the court 
that would would look at these issues from a conservative viewpoint. And he and Mitch McConnell did that. Um, as for the individual way the case, as for the way that this individual case, the uh, Mississippi case, will turn out, mm-hmm. I don't know. And I don't think anyone watching the court will know. I see stories today that, oh, it looks like the court is going to lean to weaken Roe v. Wade. It looks like the court is going to do this. How many times have we listened to court watchers and then when the decision comes out, all of us are left flabbergasted because we believe what the court watchers say? So I've kind of learned not to uh, hold up the crystal ball to what the court says. I'll just wait for the decision. But one can always hope that we will see the beginnings of a long overdue correction. Amen. Uh, if you go back, I, I when I was much younger, I read a book uh, by Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein. I think it was the follow-up book to, to uh, all the, the president's men when they, it, it may have been, but it was certainly not long afterwards. They wrote a book called The, Be- the Brethren. And it was a book examining the lives of the, of the justices on the Supreme Court and, the, and that current makeup of the court. In it, I was astounded even then, and I, I my political views weren't shaped as well as they are now, but I was astounded at the arbitrary nature that was behind some of the decisions in Roe versus Wade. It was a poorly, it was a poorly written and poorly executed decision. Mm-hmm. So this is an overdue correction for me. Of course, the left in America is going to have a cow. Mm-hmm. Now, as for what Rush would think, I don't know. But I do know this. Rush was always optimistic and maintained his optimism about America till the very end. And what he said most recently was, um, and he was actually a little frustrated because someone had asked him for the 10,000th time, Rush is a time to panic. And he finally said, look, no, it is not time to panic. It is never going to be time to panic because America is always going to be worth fighting for. And he was a optimistic warrior on that front. So regardless of how he may feel about a particular story and what he may have thought, and he often defied the conventional wisdom and defied what we thought we thought we knew what he might say, and he came up with something completely different that left us shaking our heads and saying, oh, wow, I never expected to hear that. I wish I had thought of that. But regardless of that, we do know that he would have been optimistic about the future of his country because he always was. And he often said that we cannot give up on this country. Amen. And I couldn't have said that better. Obviously, uh, we're thinking about this nation. You know, we believe it's unique. It's like Reagan saying the city on the shiny hill. Um, it is worth fighting for, but we can't go anywhere else. And, and like you said, to wrap this up, that we have to have a shared values and there's no better place than to share the value of life across this nation, across this world, uh, restoring or correcting, like you said, a mistake back many, many years ago in 73 um, would be a great start to restoring the morality, the culture, the shared values of this nation that we value each and every one of us as one of God's children. So James, thank you very much for being my guest. Uh, go find the book Rush on the Radio by James Golden at his website at jamesgolden.com or on Amazon. I'm sure you can buy it anywhere. James, uh, thank you so much. You, it's been an uh, honor to have you on the show and God bless it's you. It's been my honor. And and one day I'd love to come back. I so enjoyed our conversation. So thank you so much. Like it. Likewise. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, sir. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I hope you all enjoyed that interview 
Take care. God bless and have a great weekend and God bless America. My God is so big and so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. My God is so big and so strong and so mighty.